0: The to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Weisel, and usually at this point in the episode, I like to gab about my life, I like to gab about things I'm feeling and thinking and things that are going on, but we're not doing that this week because, one, I have been sick for so many weeks, I'm finally okay, I'm finally back to normal, but I've been sick for so many weeks that I've been up to absolutely nothing. If you want to hear about the toy piano my daughter has been playing, that I could talk about extensively because it's been my main source of entertainment the entire entire weekend but also besides that i want to get right into this episode because we have a big one for you everyone we have a gigantic episode chock full of everything you need to know for visiting the parks at tokyo disney resort so i'm not gonna waste your time we're just gonna turn it right over to that after this commercial break stick around we will be back momentarily ta-ta for now Welcome back to part two of our Tokyo Disney Resort Guide. Last week was all about planning. I recommend going back and listening to that if you haven't already. But this week, it's all about the fun stuff. What to do, see, and eat in these parks. Basically, this week, we're talking about everything you can do and how to actually do it. We will discuss how many days to dedicate to the parks in our third episode next week, once we've discussed all of your options of what there is to see and experience today. But even if you only have one day to spend here, it will be worth it, and you can soak up the magic that Tokyo Disney Resort has on offer. So today, we're tackling what rides, attractions, shows, nighttime entertainment, dining, and shopping you can experience at these two theme parks, and recommending what you absolutely cannot miss, from attractions to food and beyond. We will also be discussing the four different systems, count them, four, that you can use to skip the line here. Their versions of FastPass and Genie Plus are different, and not to tune my own horn, but by the end of this episode, I am confident that you will have the skills you need to dash from ride to ride, like a local, like a pro, no problem. And on top of that, I'm going to give you my version of a sample one-day itinerary, discuss accessibility, give you my tried and true tips for spending the day at these parks, and tackle how to get inside Fantasy Springs, the new expansion coming to Tokyo Disney Sea with attractions and experiences themed to Frozen, Peter Pan, and Rapunzel. Woo! <laughs> that's That's a lot. That's a lot. So let's get into it. Now, if you listened last week, we discussed what you can expect to see within these parks. But I want to touch on the experience first, because I have gotten a lot of questions about the culture, the vibe, the language barrier. And while there are cultural differences in visiting this park, most of them actually contribute to and enhance your experience. Instead of family vacation matching tees, you'll actually see young groups of friends in identical outfits, perhaps even a few clutching Duffy the Disney Bear under their arms. The parks themselves, also, are operationally golden. These parks are clean, guests are kind. Between the cast members and the riders practically leaping out of their seats, I've never seen anyone load Space Mountain so efficiently. Truly, I was left speechless, it was one of the more amazing sights of my life, it was going to the ballet. And when I rode the new Baymax attraction, I witnessed people in the queue dancing along to guest-created choreography learned on YouTube for the music written for the ride. Like, a lot of people doing this dance. Can you even imagine a quarter of the people in line for alien swirling saucers at Disney World doing a dance in unison just to revel in our collective happiness? The sense of community, and most of all, joy, is overwhelming and spectacular here. So if you're really wondering what it'll be like compared to back home, just know the fandom here is just as obsessed with Disney as we are, but simply express it in slightly different ways. I'm going to quote an article I wrote for Bloomberg back in, I think it was 2021, where I interviewed WDI's Daniel Zhu, who credited Japanese guests as the main reason Tokyo Disney Resort is so special. In my previous words, I'm paraphrasing most of this, but I said here, they're uninhibited, donning matching outfits, purchasing character headbands to wear together as a group from the park's Grand Emporium, mimicking parade choreography, and simply letting loose in a way that doesn't happen elsewhere. In this story, Daniel said his hypothesis is that there's a kind of human or essential need that Tokyo Disney Resort fulfills for Japanese guests. I'm quoting Daniel here, but back then he said, they take advantage of the fact that at Tokyo Disney Resort, it's okay for them to express themselves. It's okay to dress up in funny hats. He also said, it's okay to dance. It's okay to sing. It's okay to smile. When you live in Japan, it is such a very conforming society that they need ways to express themselves. And essentially, that's what Tokyo Disney Resort does. It gives them the freedom to do so. The fandom is there, of course, but here it's aided with a level of dedication. Americans will wait for parades, sure, but here people will wait hours, four hours, I clocked on my most recent visit, for a daytime parade, and will save their spots by sitting on blanket-like tarps, often filled with plush facing out towards the crowd walking past. It is very fun to see everyone and what they're displaying. It's, It's a nice touch. I truly enjoy it. Oh, and that said... Customarily, people here don't really plop directly on the ground like we do either. Plan to bring something to sit on or buy a quote-unquote leisure seat to sit upon. There is one thing that'll make you feel just like home, though, and it's the toilet paper. The toilet paper here is just as bad as back in America. It's basically my lone complaint about visiting Tokyo Disney. Oh, and at the kids' sink in the bathroom, that's where you'll find the Mickey-shaped soap plops, by the way. Expect to possibly be a little more self-conscious here about using your phone to record things, a little more than you might be back home. People aren't really out here filming a bunch of TikToks and things like they are back in the States. Oh my gosh, that sentence maybe sound 4,000 years old, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Even on my most recent visit, I noticed that. and. While it's also a big no-no for people to hold their phones up to take videos and block each other's view, I used to be told that it's basically an unspoken law that you do not take photos or videos on rides. But when I went on the new Beauty and the Beast attraction, at least half the people were filming, so I think that bit may be changing or perhaps completely out the window for when the attraction calls for it. Just... In terms of your phone, feel it out and be conscious of it and never, ever use your flash. Some attractions have rules against that and your illuminated screen showing, but when it comes to shows, if they say no filming, they mean no filming. It's weird and difficult and unnatural to not snap a photo of Minnie Mouse tap dancing, but life is tough and that is what we have to deal with. If language is a top concern for you, I'll say, generally speaking, you don't have that much to worry about. There are some general phrases and customs we'll cover next week, which you'll get used to whether or not you're briefed on them. But let me tell you a story from my first visit to Tokyo Disney Resort. We planned our entire day at Tokyo Disney Sea around riding Journey to the Center to the Earth, a marquee attraction at the park, and we got passes to ride it that evening. It was nearing the end of the day, I was so excited, and as we approached, I quickly realized the ride was shut down. Cast members were out front making an announcement in Japanese, and when I inquired with a sheepish English? that they did not just brush me off. They went and found an employee who spoke English and had them tell me what was happening. The ride was temporarily delayed, but it should reopen before the end of the night, which it did. And it was magical. So if you are concerned at all, I don't speak a word of Japanese, and I can't think of a moment of my three trips to Tokyo Disney that it has prohibited or negatively impacted an experience on my visit. That said, do make sure you have Google Translate downloaded on your phone. There was an issue on my most recent trip outside of the resort that I could only solve by typing in English, translating it to Japanese, and then handing my phone to the other person so they could respond in Japanese and translate it back to English. So you definitely want something like that in your back pocket in case anything arises, figuratively, and I guess literally, depending on where your phone is. With all of that out of the way, Let's get into everything you can expect from the moment you walk through the gates at Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. Last week, we discussed essentially everything up until the moment you arrive. But where that's concerned, you're gonna wanna get there early. How early? Well, for Tokyo Disney Sea, once Fantasy Springs opens, as early as your body will let you. I think the general consensus is an hour before opening minimum. But as someone who is always running late and can't really get moving in the morning, let alone in a foreign country, I clocked on one of my mornings that it took me 40 minutes from my arrival on the monorail to actually entering the park. There were a lot of people at security. And the park wasn't even at peak levels that day. So <laughs> I hope you I hope you like caffeine. By the way, sidebar, they do offer green tea in the vending machines in the park. And if you're anything like me, that'll be your secret sauce for staying awake. Because it's bottled you can put it in your you drink it throughout the day. Big bang, boom. It's perfect. There is an English language Tokyo Disney Resort app, and you absolutely need to download this before you arrive at the park. Honestly, you're listening to me now. You're probably on your phone. Just do it. Just do it right now. Just do it right now. Just do it right now. Just have it on your phone so you can mess around on it if you're bored or on the flight or generally whenever just to get the gist of it all. This app is essential because it's where you can browse character greetings and get ride details and use an interactive map. But most importantly, it's how you'll access their version of FastPass. And it's not like this is some throwaway random app. An English language version of this didn't even exist until a few years ago. So it's a fantastic help compared to pre-pandemic trips. And bonus, you can also log in using your pre-existing Disney account, which many of you likely have and know those passwords by heart. We're going to get into all the skip the line options available to you because you're here for a limited amount of time and we got to make sure you get on those rides. But right before we do that, let's discuss what rides you're even going to be preferencing. And while we can't cover everything today, we are going to instead tackle my favorites, the must-ride, can't-miss attractions at each park, starting with Tokyo Disneyland. My top pick here is, no surprise, Pooh's Honey Hunt. And if you're wondering why people go to this miraculous theme park resort and come back raving about a fantasy land ride we basically have back home, I, I get it. I get it. I even began thinking the same way on my most recent trip until I waited in line about 50 minutes for it and remembered just how special this one really is. Even though trackless ride technology has swiftly become the norm in the States, this predates that by nearly 24 years. And it's still exceptional. There is a level of unpredictability to the way these ride vehicles move that is so unique and so wonderful. Do not miss it if it is open on your trip. Which brings me, of course, to Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast. This brand new, also trackless ride debuted in 2020, so I'm going to be very thin on details here to avoid spoilers for you. But the build on this one is spectacular. The ride vehicle motion is unlike anything else. I can't stop raving about it. But even the exterior portion, you... Approach the facade of Beast's castle, and then you get closer, and it's the the castle! It's the castle! It's not a facade! You enter through the castle! It is a stunning moment from the jump, which makes for a fantastic experience. I will say it is not my personal favorite attraction, for many people it is, but I do think it is spectacular, it's an A+, and absolutely something you have to see and go on while there. Not to mention, a really great example of what new technology can do to bring a popular movie already utilized in the theme parks to life in a brand new way. Now, that said, I do not feel good about this next recommendation. I do not feel good. I do not feel good about recommending Splash Mountain in 2024. Okay, let me let me say that. I am glad Splash Mountain is gone from the domestic parks. The story these characters are drawn from is awful, and Tiano's Bayou Adventure cannot replace it in Florida and California quickly enough. But I also recognize that some or many of you listening to this may associate this ride more with nostalgia than its source material. In fact, that's probably likely. And despite its terrible source material, it is very likely that you listening to this have spent much of your life growing up with this purely as a slightly scary flume ride filled with furry friends. And here, in Japan, it is is—it is like walking through a nostalgic fog back to your youth. The upkeep, the audio animatronics, the quality of show in this one, it's bar none. Which is why I feel I kind of have to recommend it to you if you're traveling there. Again, to emphasize, source material, very bad. Racism, horrible. Still a problem to this day. You gotta be part of the solution so you're not a part of the problem. The ride, yikes. Here in Japan, purely due to their level of ride upkeep, every animatronic looks like it is barely aged. It is something we're seeing purely for that. Oh, and also another small bonus you won't even get too wet on it. It's a Tokyo thing. If you are going to Tokyo Disney Resort, Before July thirty first, Space Mountain is a must for you. If you can ride Space Mountain before it closes for a complete overhaul and a brand new attraction, I recommend prioritizing it, just because this too has the retro vibes you are looking for. A possibly unexpected recommendation, but one nonetheless. And then I say, do at least one classic we have back home that here you can experience in a different language and a different way. Pirates of the Caribbean, Jungle Cruise, which I did at nighttime and loved, Haunted Mansion. Hearing rides like these in Japanese with a different audience is so fun. And then there are some honorable mentions Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Country Bear Theater at Christmas time. If they still do this special show, I'm struggling to confirm it, but. Still, Happy Ride with Baymax. It's great, but the line tends to be really long. We can get a pass for it. Monsters, Inc. Ride and Go Seek, which only exists here, so you kind of sort of have to do it. But honestly, on my last trip, I did not love it as much as I remember. Over at Tokyo Disney Sea, my number one pick is laughable, but I am standing behind it. And it is Sinbad's Storybook Adventure. If you weren't a Disney fan at all, you have to go on Sinbad. The amount of money spent on this ride, you guys. The sets are unbelievably big. The density of animatronic figures is bonkers. And the length of this ride, anywhere else, in any park, they would have cut at least two show scenes to save money. It's a slow boat ride, and it's my top pick. That's how wowing it is. The line is usually non-existent towards the end of the night, but I'm not sure how Fantasy Springs will affect that because it's right next door. But it's so high capacity, you should be able to just ride whenever without too long of a wait. Oh, and then once you're done, read the Wikipedia for the attraction. Read the Wikipedia. It's it's an experience. Next up, my other fave, journey to the center of the earth. Go in with as little information as possible. That's all I'm going to say. Third, Tower of Terror. It's not the same as back home. Come for the Joe Rody lookalike, stay for the unique show experience, and don't miss the bathhouse exterior through the exit, a small yet glorious bit of design. And if you are someone who usually doesn't go on Tower of Terror back in the States, who's a little too freaked out by Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout, this version of it is not as intense as those two, so you should be okay here, and I recommend giving it a try. And then from there, it's a bit of a grab bag. I'm going to recommend you do a version of a ride we have back home for comparison's sake. And I'm going to lean towards Indiana Jones Adventure, Temple of the Crystal Skull, just because they have a slightly different effect here and there. There's one thing I'm not going to reference, but it's a little different. It's a little different. And the ride experience is really great. Again, I'm very spoiler conscious. I don't want to ruin anything for you while making these recommendations. Otherwise, while Soaring Fantastic Flight is kind of the same ride we have back home, the pre-show is unique to here and is fantastic, as they say. I've been on Soarin' around the world, uh, around the world. <laughs> I've been on Soarin' around the world, around the world. And I've been on all of them globally, and no pre-show compares to this one. And Toy Story Mania. The queue is cute, the appeal of walking through Woody's gaping open mouth is tempting. Google it, it's wild. But despite its popularity here, this is one I would actually skip for the others. I do also have to emphasize rides that only exist here, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is pretty cool, but a little compact. Aquatopio, which is essentially Luigi's rollicking roadsters on water. it's It's fun, it's cute. And Nemo and Friends Sea Rider, a moving theater attraction that I thought was really fun and unique, and I'm kind of more inclined to go back on again than the other two. Also, Fantasy Springs is not yet open, but I would bet my butt that those rides would be on this hit list too. Honorable mention, Any of the transit options, particularly the Venetian gondolas, my white whale, my white whale, I still haven't done it, and the Disney Sea Electric Railway, which I adore. It's an elevated train. I love that vantage point, and it feels kind of like you're in a city. It's really, it's really, really nice. And then there's entertainment. There are multiple live shows, but we're not going to talk about any of them (laughs) because you're on borrowed time. You will have a jam-packed schedule, and the only one you absolutely need to see is Big Band Beat. I am chips in on this show, everyone. To me, this is a top priority attraction, as much, if not more, than the rides themselves. I've seen it twice now. And when I recently went back to be like, is it really as good as I remember? It's even better. (laughs) It's even better. It's even better than I remembered it. There's also nighttime entertainment, uh, believe Sea of Dreams at Tokyo Disney Sea, a nighttime spectacular on the water, electrical parade dream lights. Yeah, your Main Street electrical, kind of more paint the night, nighttime dreams, lit up parade dreams live on here. And there's a short fireworks show, like short, like five minutes long, kind of short, that you can see from both parks. Uh, it's just short. It's not like the highlight, but it's fireworks. Fireworks are great. If you are visiting after September 20th, 2024, note that there will be a new castle show that will bring one, Marvel to their nighttime entertainment for the first time. Very interested in that. And two, projection technology, kind of like what we see with Happily Ever After. I'm not sure what that show is gonna be like, but worth noting that if they're if they're pushing the projection technology, hopefully it's pretty good. And then, of course, there are the characters, but most importantly, the Duffy. If you listen to this podcast or have ever heard me yell anything on the internet, you've heard about Duffy the Disney Bear and how Duffy is inextricably tied to Tokyo Disney Sea. You will see Duffy everywhere at these parks, dangling off backpacks, little keychains on clothing, small children in costumes, my favorite version, even groups of friends carrying their Duffy around, as I mentioned before. And if you want to know more about Duffy before you travel to Tokyo, (laughs) you've obviously come to the right place. This is old news for many of you listening. But if not for the one person (laughs) who is not in that situation, if you want to learn about how Duffy brings out iyashi, or that comforting feeling that something good will happen if you hold them close. Our Duffy episodes, uh, our explainer all about Duffy and friends, our live Duffy panel from D23 Expo, all of those are in the show notes of this episode. And I call those out because all of that conversation, the fan fervor, it all grew out of the Japanese reception to Duffy at this resort. Now, there are a couple ways to see and meet Duffy at the parks. Duffy and Shelley Mae have separate meet and greets at Tokyo Disney Sea, and that's really the only place you can snag a photo with them. Otherwise, you can spot them in the waterfront shows at Tokyo Disney Sea and at a show restaurant at Tokyo Disney Sea, which we will discuss later this episode. For other characters, you can officially meet Mickey, Donald, and Minnie in these kind of like 90s explorer outfits in Tokyo Disney Sea, and Mickey in an iconic white blazer towards the front of the park. And at Disneyland, you can also meet Mickey towards the front of the park, Donald and Daisy looking like Boy and Girl Scouts. A There's a Toontown meet and greet with Mickey and a newer debut, Minnie's style studio, which features her in fun outfits and different city backdrops. I got Paris, which I wanted when I went. I loved it. But I call those official meet and greets because you are more likely to experience the kind of sporadic, spontaneous, out-in-the-crowd style meet-and-greet like you see at Disneyland especially today at both parks. Friend of the podcast, TDR Explorer, has an extensive list of these with locations in his guidebook. But one thing to take note of is that, in my experience, instead of forming a sporadic line or kind of just rolling up to take a photo with a character on the move, here, whenever I've met a character like this, I've experienced it as guests kind of ending up in a circle or a semicircle around a character, and then you're kind of selected to take a photo is the best way to put it. You can ask me if I please have a photo, but usually it's it's a little bit of a delicate dance, which adds a fun little element to it. So like a little like, oh, you got to earn it. You got to earn it, which is, I don't know, I think it's fun and different. And that's what you can expect to see inside the park. Which leads us to the biggest question of the day. How do you skip the line for this stuff so you can see all of it on your vacation? And I'm about to let you know after this break. Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy, and if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. To get started, head to framebridge.com because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. Welcome back. Now that we know how much great stuff there is at Tokyo Disney Resort, let's discuss how do you actually accomplish all of it. Back home, as many of you are familiar, we have Genie Plus and Individual Lightning Lane. Genie Plus is essentially our updated version of Fast Pass or FastPass Plus, and Individual Lightning Lane is a one-off a la carte purchase to skip the line on the most popular rides. In Tokyo, the equivalent products are Priority Pass and Premier Access. The Tokyo Disney Resort 40th Anniversary Priority Pass, a mouthful, I know, we're just going to call it Priority Pass. This is Fast Pass, free Fast Pass, just like how you remember, only you book it on your phone. In that way, it's pretty similar to Genie Plus. Most of the attractions in the park are eligible for this Skip the Line Pass, except the most in-demand ones. The process is also pretty straightforward. You don't choose your return time, it's simply next available. You can book another Priority Pass either 120 minutes after obtaining your last one, or once the start time begins for your most recent pass booking, whichever is sooner. And regulars to the American parks take note of that language, because that's a little different from what we've discussed for Disney World. Here it's not when you scan into the ride, it's when that return window simply begins. So you can actually book something new sooner here than at home. Also here in Tokyo, you can book the same attraction twice in a day if you'd like, which is fun. The freedom of choice. Again, this Priority Pass is free. Even though it works kind of like Genie Plus, you do not have to pay for this. Priority Pass, as we just discussed, will last until April 2024 at a minimum, but the end date has not yet been announced. So if you are traveling after April 1st, 2024, be sure to check the Tokyo Disney Resort website to confirm this 40th anniversary Priority Pass is still being offered or to learn about what may take its place. And then there is Disney Premiere Access. Both start with a P, which I find to be terribly confusing. But just remember, uh, Premiere is like a debut, which means it comes first, which means you're the first one to get on the run. OK, that makes <laughs> absolutely no sense. But Premiere is their individual lightning lane, and I'm never going to explain my reasoning again. Priority pass, free. Premiere Access, paid. There, There you go. That's the best way to do it. This paid Premier Access is how you will pay to skip the line on the most in-demand rides and get reserved viewing for select shows and experiences. Unlike Priority Pass, which is free and used on many attractions at both parks, this costs money and is used on the elite tippy-top attractions you're more than likely going to want to go on while you're there. At the time of recording, Premier Access is used on Tower of Terror, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Toy Story Mania, and Soaring Fantastic Flight at Tokyo Disney Sea, and Splash Mountain, The Happy Ride with Baymax, and Enchanted Tale of Beauty and the Beast at Tokyo Disneyland. You can book these one at a time after entering the park, but you can actually book them more frequently than back home with individual Lightning Lane. Here, you can purchase another one 60 minutes after your most recent purchase, or after the start time, whichever comes first. You can also book a ride multiple times in a day, and there's apparently no limit to how many Premier Access passes you can buy. On top of booking for those rides, you can concurrently book for eligible parades and shows at both parks, including Tokyo Disneyland Electrical Parade and Believe Sea of Dreams, the waterfront show at Tokyo Sea. So, Feasibly within 2 hours of entering, if applicable, you can book 2 of these Premier Access Attraction Lightning Lanes as well as another for a parade and a nighttime show, or both if the park has both. You can also choose your return time in advance. Pricing currently ranges from around 10 to 17 US dollars and is worth it. I understand budgeting. I understand it. And those prices can add up if you use this multiple times. But remember, tickets are so much less expensive here than back home. And skipping the line on popular rides will help you do more in your limited time at the parks while you are in Japan. But remember, this this is where you may hit a credit card snafu. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I implore you to please go back and listen to part one of this Tokyo guide, because that episode, which comes right before this, discusses at length what you can do to try and avoid these credit card issues on site and to give yourself the best shot to be able to buy this skip the line pass, since it really will help you do so, so much more. But if you end up in a bad way and none of your credit cards will work, there is an option to purchase Premier Access in person. You can do this at Tokyo Disneyland's Main Street House and World Bazaar Confectionery, as well as Guest Relations and Valentina's Suites at Tokyo Disney Sea. Again, not an ideal option. The two candy st- op- candy candy options, the two candy stores, do open a little later than the other two locations, but it is always an option available to you. But that's not all! Hey, if this was easy, we wouldn't have a three-part guide for it. As you may know, back in the States, we have Virtual Queue, the free virtual line you can request entry for the newest, most in-demand attractions from at Walt Disney World and Disneyland. Here, there are kind of two versions of that. Standby Pass and Entry Request. I know, (laughs) it's a lot, but we're going to extensively discuss all of the options so that you are ready to go once you land on Tokyo soil. Standby Pass is primarily used for shops and new attractions, but it's not always in use, and what it's used for changes regularly. I have left a link to Tokyo Disney Resort's Standby Pass page in the show notes so you can easily check what is currently required and what will use Standby Pass on your trip but if you are going in a busy time, you will likely be using this. Note as well, this is what you'll use to get into Fantasy Springs, but more on that in a bit. As for Entry Request, if you have heard people discuss about a lottery for Tokyo Disney shows, this is what they're talking about. Entry Request is also kind of like a virtual queue, but it has this more of a selected random element to it because you may or may not get in using it, which is Kind of fun. I mean, so long as you don't get the dreaded "we're sorry" screen. That is, currently, it is being used for indoor shows like the can't miss Big Band Beat Show and outdoor ones like Jamboree Mickey Let's Dance at Disney Sea. It's worked for works on a few shows at Disneyland and also for a front of park Mickey Mouse meet and greet at Tokyo Disneyland. You or your group can attempt an entry request once per day for each venue requiring it, and if you win. It'll give you an assigned seat, where applicable. To request, you select a preferred return time. And if you don't get it, you can't request again that day. You can, however, wait in line for standby seats for the performances. And I've heard different philosophies about selecting a midday show when people might be at lunch and your odds being greater then or doing it at the end of the day because people might not do it for then. I don't know if I believe any of those theories, so take that with a grain of salt and just trust your instincts and hope for the best. Now, all of this obviously requires you to be on your phone and to use your phone while connected to the internet while at this resort. So before you leave, I would recommend amending your cell phone plan. I have AT&T, and I do this when I travel, and it's extremely affordable. It's $10 a day, and it automatically turns on and off based on location once I opted in. Or if you would rather use Wi-Fi on your travels, look into renting a personal Wi-Fi device or pocket Wi-Fi for the duration of your trip. I did this back in 2019, and I was able to pick it up in my hotel concierge in Tokyo and mail it back from a kiosk at the airport. Easy stuff. It kept us online the entire time, and it was really helpful when at that point changing our cell phone plan was prohibitively expensive. Generally speaking, there is not free complimentary Wi-Fi available at Tokyo Disney Resort. However, There are a few select locations at the front of both parks where you can use free Wi-Fi, which is more of an emergency recommendation than something I would tell you to use regularly. The reason I flag this is because my cell phone weirdly, strangely stopped working correctly for about a half day while I was at Tokyo Disney. I could send texts, but I couldn't receive them. Making calls didn't quite work. I still have no idea why this happened. I think it was a combination of too many people on the network since I was near a bunch of people waiting for their parade. And honestly, my phone being so full of videos that it decided to self-destruct Very on brand. But this is why I recommend this emergency Wi-Fi area. That's why I recommend printing things out. That's why I do all of these things just so that you're covered in case things get wonky. So to recap, skipping the line. 40th Anniversary Priority Pass. Free. Book it every two hours. Will change later this year, so be sure to check on it before leaving. Premier Access. Costs money. Book it once an hour. Can book a show and a ride at the same time. Entry Request. Lottery. May or may not get it. Try your luck. And Standby Pass. Not always in use, but if it is, you need it for shopping and other experiences. But that's not all. There is also a single rider line, which is currently in use on two attractions, Indiana Jones Adventure and Raging Spirits. Now, Raging Spirits is like a vaguely Indiana Jones-themed outdoor roller coaster that I don't particularly care for either here or at Disneyland Paris. But there is a 360-degree loop, and it's the only one like that in the park. So if you're craving some more intense thrills, have at it. One of the most frequently asked questions I get about this resort, however, is how can I get into Fantasy Springs, the expansion coming to Tokyo Disney Sea in June 2024? This is the most accurate information I have at the time of recording this episode, but Fantasy Springs is something you're gonna wanna see while you're at Disney Sea. Oh, see while at sea, so listen up. In part one, we broke down the ways you can skip having to do anything extra to enter the land. That involves staying at the new Fantasy Springs Hotel where you are guaranteed entry or booking a Fantasy Springs-eligible vacation package. If you are not doing either of those, you will need a park ticket for Tokyo Disney Sea. kind of duh, but you also will need to book your way in once you enter, either with Standby Pass, that free virtual queue system, or Disney Premier Access, their version of individual lightning lane. If you are staying at MiraCosta, you of course have a leg up on the competition. Because you have happy entry, you can enter 15 minutes early, and from my understanding, snag a standby pass or premiere access before the regular crowd, so you should be golden. Standby pass will be offered for four attractions. Anna and Elsa's Frozen Journey, Rapunzel's Lantern Festival, Peter Pan's Neverland Adventure, and Fairy Tinkerbell's Busy Buggies. All of those, except for Tinkerbell, will offer Disney Premiere and allow you to pay your way onto the rides and skip the lines. Those will also provide you with an entry time to the land and the ability to place a mobile order for Royal Banquet of Arendelle, Lookout Cookout, or the Snuckly Duckling, which at this time of recording is the only way to order food from the Fantasy Springs Eateries. Again, if you have the one-day Passport Fantasy Springs Magic Ticket, either from your stay at Fantasy Springs Hotel or for booking the eligible vacation package, you can skip the line on most of the rides and ride them as much as you'd like. It is incredible. If you are curious about how to get your hands on that golden ticket, go back and listen to our part one episode, which gives you all of the options from the planning stage. Once again, I need to stress that this episode is being recorded before Fantasy Springs opens, so procedures can and likely will change. Please check back here, of course, since I'm sure I'll be back there at some point this year, but also Tokyo Disney Resort's website, as well as Chris Neilgay from TDR Explorer's social media, website, YouTube videos, and especially his highly recommended guidebook. As I mentioned in part one, this is not sponsored, Chris is a friend, but I want to be sure that you have the most updated information for your trip, and recommending a source who lives in Japan and will flag any procedural changes is me doing my job to the best of my ability. Which brings me to another reminder of Chris's from last week, and that is to print out your digital ticket before you go so you can scan it into the app. If that doesn't make sense to you, please go back and listen to part one. There is so much good information for visiting Tokyo Disney Resort in there, and I want to make sure you have the best trip possible. A bunch of you asked for a one-day itinerary, so here is essentially my version of that. I'm going to call it more of a loving send-off than a full-blown itinerary. So I'm basically just going to set you up for success and then let it ride. Now, if you have a trip booked or you are serious about traveling to Tokyo in the future, I do also recommend going back and listening to my October trip recap. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But basically, I discuss how I plan my days in the park at length in that episode. The short version of that is this. Go through this podcast. Go on social media, look at a park map, look at uh, the websites, videos, TikTok, everything, and put together a hit list in your phone of what you would like to see and do and eat. Put a star next to anything that is essential, like can't leave without doing it. And that that is the document you're going to work off of while you're in the park. Once you arrive, at least an hour early, with a copy of your printed ticket so you can scan it in, in case anything goes awry, here is what you will do upon entering. At Tokyo Disneyland, once your admission is scanned, you're going to book a 40th anniversary priority pass for Pooh's Honey Hunt, if available. Buy a premiere access for Beauty and the Beast, and buy premiere access for a daytime show or parade if you're interested. And if not, then nighttime entertainment, if that's something you'd like to do. Check if there's anything on standby pass, and once you have your first two return times set, try your luck with a lottery booking with entry request. Once those initial bookings are in, resist the temptation to shop and go line up for whatever is next on your must experience list. This is a perfect time to line up for something you can't skip the line for. For me, it was Mini style studio meet and greet in Toontown. It's tricky here to specify exact strategy based on sellouts and so many rides on standby pass and we know that will end or change at some point in the future. But basically, since you've identified what your top priorities are, scoot to whatever you think you won't buy a Premier Access Pass for or use Priority Pass for next. Basically, identify what is most important to you and target it. If the return times for Priority Pass look like the one you want next may sell out and that item is on your hit list, head there now. Once you enter the queue of whatever you choose, it's homework time. Open that notes document with your priorities and at the top, make a little schedule of everything you just booked and the return timeframes. Then you're going to set an alarm for when you can book each again. Sidebar pro tip, try to set your phone to vibrate only or just stay on top of it so your alarm doesn't go off mid-ride or mid-show, which would be a huge faux pas here. From there, I like to carve out my projected meal times, just so I don't block myself in. And then I try to spend time between return times shopping and looking at special small details, especially things like their penny arcade located off the World Bazaar, their main street, which is freaking adorable. Again, having that priority list is so helpful day of so that you don't feel overwhelmed and chaotic while doing everything that day. Oh, and the priority list, of course, works for food too, which we will discuss next. Just a disclaimer, which I'm realizing that may be confusing. I'm talking about your personal priorities, not priority access, which you use to get on rides. At Tokyo Disney Sea, again, remember we are recording this before Fantasy Springs, which will be the number one priority if you're listening to this after June. It's kind of the same deal. Once your admission is scanned, buy Premier Access for Journey to the Center of the Earth, book 40th Anniversary Priority Pass for Indiana Jones if you're in a group, or 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea if you're okay using the single rider line for Indiana Jones later, and buy Premier Access for nighttime entertainment if applicable. This is also the time that you will want to use entry requests to hopefully get seats for Big Band Beat. From here, again, line up for your next biggest priority. If it seems like Soren from your access passes are going quick, and you really want to see that, consider that. Otherwise, follow my lead and walk to the back of the park to hop in line for Duffy and/or Shelley May. Once you get in line, again, it is homework time. Open the notes, make the schedule, set the reminders, and this time, slot in whichever show of Big Band Beat you think you'd like to arrive early to and wait for. If you didn't get it in the lottery, and build everything else around that. If you are spending two days at Tokyo Disney Sea, I recommend trying to book Big Man Beat on day one so that you can attempt it with the lottery to save time and then wait in line on day two if you lose out twice. And of course, when Fantasy Springs opens, prioritize that among everything else. Wow, well, I'm really, I'm going to need to like print out the transcription of this episode and just bind it and mail it to everyone listening. Our <laughs> Who now? we are nearly done with all of my tips for visiting Tokyo Disney Resort and doing it right, but we cannot conclude, obviously, without discussing dining. And I'm going to be very blunt with you here. If you are looking to me to heap praise upon the meals and treats at Tokyo Disney Resort, this podcast is not going to do that. Don't get me wrong, there are foods I love there. I dream of having them again. They are fantastic. This is, after all, the only Disney Resort that takes popcorn as seriously as it begs to be taken. But I'm gonna publicly admit something, right here, right now. And that is that my tummy is not right whenever I spend more than 36 hours at this resort. If you haven't heard this from anyone before, including myself, I'm sorry, I don't know why no one else is telling you this. But as much as cutie little videos of Donald Duck Bonds and Alien Mochi and other cute character-shaped foods permeate your social media feeds, which is a problem I participate in as well when I highlight my favorite dishes, there is another side to this story. And maybe it's, maybe it's just me, I don't think it is, but maybe it's just me. Maybe it's my Californian organs. But finding fruits and vegetables and natural sources of fiber just isn't gonna happen here. The portions are also small. I order multiple items here, I'm a hungry girl. And a lot of it can be meat and especially carbs breakfast breads and buns with meat and churros, and I just need more than a sprig of broccoli with a meal to keep this engine running. And I know I talk a lot about how protein is the best way to get through the parks, but I did, while researching this episode, look up one menu in particular, and I posted this on Twitter. I saw a photo of what they call a snack, which is a container full of nuts, wedge potatoes, And sausages, just loose, loosey-goosey sausages just rolling around like a highlighter in your school backpack. So things are a little different here, and vegetables are hard to come by. And I'm not saying this to whine. Again, I love it here. There are foods I'm dreaming of eating again as I'm sitting here recording this. The black pepper popcorn. Oh my gosh. But I just want to frame the culinary offerings here with that small caveat before we dive in. Starting with table service sit-down restaurants. Priority seating or dining reservations at Tokyo Disney restaurants open one month in advance. They open at 10 a.m. Japan time, which is 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific the day before. At Tokyo Disneyland, these bookings include places you'll recognize from home, like Crystal Palace and Blue Bayou, along with Center Street Coffee House, a more casual diner like restaurant I've been to twice and enjoyed for a quick, easy meal. At Tokyo Disney Sea, this includes Magellan's, the grand restaurant you've likely heard about and seen on social media, and Teddy Roosevelt Lounge, which, yes, is incredible a cocktail bar and restaurant aboard a ship themed to an American president. Why not? There are also show restaurants, whose priority seating reservations open an hour earlier than standard restaurants one month in advance. Those go up at 9am Japan time, which is 7pm Eastern, 4pm Pacific, the day before. There are two at Disneyland, a variety show with the Diamond Horseshoe that is basically a bizarre version of Hoop-dee-doo Musical Review, and Mickey's Rainbow Luau, a live dinner show that's a full-blown luau with Mickey, Minnie, and the gang. I've been to both. They are wildly entertaining with some of the absolute worst food I've ever been served in my life. I was given a sausage with a bone sticking out of it at one, a comedy sausage, a Toontown sausage at the most expensive meal of that day. Over at Tokyo Disney Sea, however, I'ma eat my words because here you can see Duffy and friends on stage. It's like me. Uh, Tucking in to watch back-to-back episodes of Suits while I devour Takeout. Only here you are in person, watching our beloved fuzzy friends in a live performance while you eat whatever food because that's not the point. You are doing this because it feels good and it's worth it. As I mentioned earlier, this is the main way to see the gang hanging out together. So this is huge for Duffy fanatics. I've only seen the previous iteration of the show, which didn't require dining reservations, Just like a quick service burger as the price of admission. But I put a link to the new version of the show in the show notes so you can check it out. It's in Japanese, but seeing all of these characters on stage, it is like seeing these Spice Girls or NSYNC in their prime. It is, it's, it's phenomenal. All of that said, generally, I don't think you need to do a sit-down restaurant on your visit to Tokyo Disney Resort unless it's something you really want to do or you're going for three or more days. Because so much of your schedule will be in flux and decided day of, I often find that a full sit-down dining experience stresses me out and makes me feel boxed in and rushed. You can always inquire day of to try and get a reservation or wait to be seated. Just mind the closing hours for restaurants. That's how I got burned and didn't make it into Teddy Roosevelt Lounge on my past trip, because they operated a standby line and I didn't realize that it was closing so early. But alas, do not fret, because here's a hit list of things you should try on your first visit, as well as some of my all-time faves. Now, you're not going to go here without trying the Little Green Alien Mochi. Duh. They're chocolate, strawberry, and custard inside. But a small tip to make that easier to grab in them without waiting too long for my friend Rachel, whom I visited, is to go to Yucatan Base Camp at Disney Sea, where uh, they also serve the cursed bone-in sausage. When you see it on the menu, think of me. <laughs> think of me. Think of me fondly when you see this sausage, because it is… <laughs> it, shouldn't, it shouldn't exist. But anyway, I digress. Uh, it's just not natural. It's just not natural. Anyway, here you can get the mochi more easily than in other locations, according to Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. There's also the Mike's Melon Bread, which people love, but personally, it isn't my bag. It's a sweet bread, which I'm not very into. There are also tons of specialty drinks throughout the resort. Very fun things that you can get involved in. But mostly, brace yourself for some fun Mickey-shaped foods. There are regular pastries and macaroons and things like that, but items you need to keep an eye out for. Churros, that instead of being circular on the end, are shaped like Mickey. Chicken nuggets, which are shaped like Mickey. It is blasphemous that we don't have these at home. How do we not have these? There are some eggs where the yolks are Mickey shaped. Science. And then at Camp Woodchuck Kitchen, there is this Mickey shaped, they call it an onigiri beef short rib sandwich, but instead of bread, it's just rice in a Mickey shaped patty. It's fantastic. And then there's the Mickey long bread, which is uh, exactly as described, which you may have seen on social media. It's bread, it's long, and it's shaped like Mickey Mouse. The Mickey-shaped food you must get while there, however, is the Mickey waffle. It is the quintessential, perfect Mickey waffle. Crisp on the outside, soft on the inside, there's really nothing else like it. It is the perfect waffle. I recently went at night instead of the day because the line was a little shorter, but it was it was still long. So I'm telling you right now, the line is worth it. You have to do it, and they have seasonal toppings on it. Ah, it's fantastic. Other items I love the Baymax Curry. I thought was delicious. The potato churro at Disney Sea. It's a must. You must know what it tastes like. And my all-time favorite, the I hope I don't miss, mix these words up because I sometimes do. The ice cream sea salt manaka. They're so good, I had two of them on my past trip within about three hours time. It's basically a wafer shell, ice cream, and like a little plop of jam inside. They are delicious. It is the perfect frozen treat. They also, I mean, this is low key. Not a lot of people talk about this. Wherever you go to a quick service restaurant, they have these make a change sauces, which are served at the meals. I think it's maybe a dollar extra, but they are delicious. I had a spicy one. They are very flavorful. I poured it over rice and salmon and it elevated the meal to a new level. I wish they had these everywhere. And then, of course, there is the popcorn. So many flavors. So little time. My favorite is black pepper. Oh, black pepper so good. But I've tried to make it at home and it's not the same. I really need to go back to get it. But I love the garlic shrimp, obviously. And I also love the milk chocolate. They're only a few bucks, so it's a great way to try them all. I've gotten plenty of questions about vegetarian options. If that applies to you, please go back to my travel questions part two episode. I will link to it in the show notes. But in that, I respond to a call and I run down a hit list of vegetarian dishes from my friend Rachel who lived there and is one, so that will be your go-to guide. Some other things to know, there is mobile order here at Tokyo Disney Resort. Vending machines in the park are a great option for easily grabbing a bottled drink. Bottled water is inexpensive here, hooray. And I just want to emphasize again that despite having so many yummy things to eat, because I do genuinely think the snack game is so good you should also pack some food. I know it sounds counterintuitive to pack some snacks so you can maximize your snack eating, but you will be doing and seeing so much and you don't want to waste 20 minutes in line, 25 minutes in line for something because you're hungry when you could be riding rides and seeing shows. So just be sure to have a couple emergency snacks on you, especially for breakfast, so you can get more done when you arrive in the morning and then eat to your heart's content throughout the day. And of course, because we are at Tokyo Disney Resort, there's also shopping. Merchandise at the parks is different than at the Tokyo Disney stores in Tokyo and at they their kind of sort of version of Downtown Disney that we'll cover next week. But what you need to know is the merchandise here is, as you've heard, phenomenal. It's high quality. It's made so well. And for many items, it can be cheaper than back at home, especially for wearing ears, especially. The main highlights are this popcorn buckets. The good ones we have back home, that all originated here, and theirs are spectacular. Now that we have so many good ones at home, it might not justify the suitcase space, but just saying they have some wonderful ones. You should prepare to find different merchandise in either of the parks. So, my general recommendation is if you see something you like, take a photo. If you see something you love, grab it. I recommend taking a photo so that at the end of the day or later on, you can scroll through them and try to see what exactly you want. Or if you're going for a few days, if you miss out on something, you can easily go back and find something you liked. Stores will be busy in the morning at the front of the park when people are buying those wearable items to wear as a group that day, as well as at night, The on the way out, which is part of the reason why I also recommend scooping up something if you see it and love it. Clothing here runs on the smaller side, and for some items, they are sold packaged, and you'll need to refer to a sample garment for the sizing. If you are looking for Duffy and Friends merchandise, you will need to buy that in Tokyo Disney Sea. Some of the best souvenirs, though, will be the gift with purchases from dining at quick service restaurants, so be sure to keep an eye out for those. There are little tote bags, little accessories, even at Cape Cod Cook-Off, that's where I got one of my best Duffy items, so just make sure you check those out whenever you are ordering food. And most importantly, not to bring things down, but seasonal merchandise can and will sell out. So do yourself a favor and just gauge expectations. Don't get too hyped. This happened to me on two different trips. But if you arrive deeper into the quote unquote season of merch, whether that's Halloween or Christmas or just a current event they're having, the most special items from that drop can be sold out. That's how I came home without really any souvenirs or gifts or Duffy merchandise on my most recent trip, because there was nothing that called to me except for a t-shirt and a couple other things, and the special stuff from that collection was already gone. If you ever miss out, like I did, do not blow pity money on souvenirs you don't really like. Instead, I recommend you save your coin and purchase one to two special items once you're back home from a reseller shop. Like... U.S. Shopping SOS, which is the one I personally use. They'll have everything from previous seasons as well, and though it's not the same as a souvenir you got on your trip, you might wind up getting something that you like even more because there's more variety. And if the items you hoped for don't really speak to you on your visit, this is a way to still have something special from Tokyo. The last thing, accessibility. As I mentioned last week, there are tickets specifically for quote-unquote guests with disabilities as well as a guest for them. But from what I understand, That guest is really required mostly for safety evacuation reasons. I will link to a bunch of things in the show notes, but especially Tokyo Disney Resort's page on barrier-free travel, which has a lot of official resources you'll need to look at when planning a trip, whether you have a wheelchair, visual hearing issues, allergies, dietary restrictions, or anything else you need to make accommodations for. But after looking around on message boards and doing some research, I was tipped off to a downloadable PDF with way! more information than that. I put a link to the PDF in the show notes, but this has almost everything. We're talking photos of ride vehicles, details on measurements from the ground to the seat in the vehicle, from the entryway, how to get into them, a chart marking which rides are dark or loud. It is extensive in the best way possible and so appreciative for those who need it. There is a version of disability access service here in Tokyo, but it is different from back home. You will need a disability certificate, which I think can be a point of stress for people coming from America, from what I've read on message boards and things, but in Japan, it does seem flexible on what they'll take. Here, essentially, you will register day of and then take your disability certificate and tickets for your party over to each individual attraction to get a pass to return later and skip the line. I found a very helpful blog post, actually, from an Australian woman who outlines this in detail and answers all of those basic questions. I highly recommend reading that. I will link out to it. But also, if you have TDR Explorer's guidebook, there is a fantastic section outlining all of this in there as well. And related to that, I know a couple weeks ago we discussed accessibility in terms of sizing and fitting within a ride vehicle. And I really want to shout out TDR Explorer right here. In his guidebook, he has the Japanese and English translation for asking, can I fit in the ride vehicle, which is the protocol he suggests, while adding that you might be asked, without volunteering, to try one of the test seats. If you have that guidebook, I recommend screenshotting that and having it ready on your phone in case you need it. And I think, I think that's it. Once again, a disclaimer, this episode was recorded in February 2024. I was put together to the best of my ability, fact-checked completely, but things will change at this resort, especially with a large opening happening halfway through 2024. So please be sure to check a source closer to your trip, fact-check anything that is essential to your travel, and especially for Fantasy Springs, when it opens, be sure you know if any procedures have changed. As always, you can call the Churros hotline and ask me anything at any time, 747-CHURROS, and... If you need any questions, I'm here for you. Stay tuned for next week when we will talk about everything you need to know for traveling to Japan as a whole, any side trips, things to do in Tokyo, getting to and from the resort, all those big picture questions. And by this time next week, you will have every bit of information you need to plan a successful and wonderful trip to Tokyo. Enjoy! Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days, from premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code staple L E two zero. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Thank you all so much for listening. And my apologies that there is no churros call on this episode. I had a feeling this one was going to run long. So I just wanted to keep it very, very focused on this guide so that you could just play and listen and enjoy your trip to Tokyo. If you liked this episode, if you found any of this advice to be helpful, please rate, review and follow us on Apple podcasts or rate and follow us on Spotify. It's not just the thing you say at the end. It really makes a difference. And I'm very, very grateful to each and every one of you who have done this over the years. If you have a question about Tokyo or anything else, we're getting a lot of calls about Disneyland Paris, which I find interesting, which we will get to sometime soon. You can give us a call at 747churros. You can uh, send us a voice note, text it to 747churros, or email it to 747churros at gmail.com. And I don't mean to be facetious about Paris. We will get to it. I'm just, my brain is in Tokyo, and we gotta wrap this one up before I move on to that. Thinking probably in like two months, maybe? I'll get you. I will help you. I promise. I promise. I promise. I I'll help you on your Paris trips and beyond. If you want to tell people how much you love Very Amusing without even saying a single word, you can buy merchandise at very-amusing.com. You can follow me at Carly Weisel on all the things. I've been using threads more. Anything at Carly Weisel for theme park news and details and little little jokes, little yuck yucks. Or you can join the foma at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly This episode was edited indubitably by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon.
1: Hi, honey. It's mom. I'm definitely going over today and I'm really sorry. And I'm also very sorry that you were sick. And I'm so glad you're starting to feel better. Okay. Tokyo Disneyland. Wow. I want to go so bad. It's just a long, long flight away, but I would do it with you. I'm so excited about the parks and $56 a day at Tokyo Disney versus 174 at Magic Kingdom. That is like free for us. I would love to go see Tokyo Disney, the sea, and the main street, and Mermaid Lagoon, and the an ocean liner. I have to go with you. But the best is guaranteed park tickets. To know that you're getting in the park takes away so much anxiety. All right, the Toy Story Hotel. I remember from one of your older, I think a year ago, very amusing podcast of Tokyo, you were staying at the Toy Story Hotel, and they provided pajamas to borrow, and you went in the hall by, your mirror, by the elevator, and you took pictures. And I'm like, I am going back and doing that with you. But how do you not take home the pajamas? They're on loan? What does that mean, they're on loan? I have to have them. But, of course, I would buy them because I'm not getting arrested for pajamas. There's no way. So I promise you now, if you take me, I will not get you in any trouble or me in any trouble. All right. For the sweet caller, I am so happy that my words helped you last week in any way. That makes me tear up. I was so happy. Thank you, honey. You are all so nice to me. And thank you all. And thank you, Carly. I love you so much. Okay. What is in a name? I did go to high school with this girl, Carly, spelled the same way. She was beautiful, and I absolutely loved her name and the way she spelled it. It was a -a one-of-a-kind spelling, and it stuck with me. I always kept that name, and I kept it in the back of my head and the spelling, and I thought if I ever have a girl, that's the name that I wanted. But you live up to that name, honey. Besides being beautiful and smart and sweet, you are the only writer and podcast host that spells Carly that way, so you do stand out from the rest. I remember going with you to New York, to the New York Post, and we have a friend there, Isabel, and she's a writer, but the receptionist said, oh, my God, you're Carly? That spelled C-A-R-L-Y-E. I follow you. Oh, my God. Your name is like no other. Mission accomplished. I love you, Carly. I love you, Pearl. I love you, John Stamos. And I made it under the wire. I love you. Bye, honey.